Welcome to That Privacy Podcast, brought to you by OneTrust Data Guidance in association with Hogan Lovells. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of That Privacy Podcast, a podcast created for privacy professionals or anyone with an interest in privacy, personal data, uh, technology, society, and how, how they all link together. So I'm joined as ever by my colleagues Alexis and Eduardo. First, first and foremost, how are you guys? Good, good, good to be here. Good, yeah, Alexis. yeah. Likewise, um, yeah, doing well. Um, I think we were just saying as well. Good to see some sunshine in London, which is yeah. super nice. We have snow forecast for next week. I should say. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure how that happens, that's, but that's UK weather. <laughs> It feels good at the moment, though. Thursday, the 1st of April, obviously today. And yeah, looking forward to a nice, nice bank holiday weekend and putting our feet up a little bit. But before we do that, we've got some work to do. So let's crack on to today's topics. Um, If you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know that we run through four or five key updates, developments, things we're scratching our heads around, uh, perhaps clients are talking to us about. So, yeah, we'll be sharing a few thoughts about those and um yeah hopefully they'll be of use to you listening so let's get started actually eduardo we have an idea which probably is going to be for next time we want to put in a a, a noise a gong a drum a something for each of the topics as we go through them to give it a bit of, a bit of energy <laughs> alexis i only asked him about five minutes ago so i don't know if you found a gong in that time alexis no i don't think i have oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> Boom, or something like that, we'll have to say. But uh, <laughs> as we go through, um, yeah, we'll, you'll see each of the, the topics as we go. So I think first on the list, we're going to kind of start with a bit of a deep dive, as they say, into some European Union legislative development uh, rumblings, <laughs> or perhaps more than rumblings. Um, we're going to be using the word trilogue in this next section, which make may make some people a bit nostalgic for pre-GDPR talk. Alexis, I'm looking at you particularly uh, <laughs> for those years of, of yeah, discussions and uh, actually talking more more about e-privacy, the e-privacy regulation. So we've had some movements um, for the first time in a long time. I know we flagged this a couple of times before, but there's something substantial really to talk about now. So let's just recap that. Um, uh, Alexis, why don't you just start with you know what's happened and then Eduardo, if you can just add what you think and how, how it's likely to play out. Yeah, sure. So I think we did talk about this a little bit last time. To be honest, I think we've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, and why not? Um, it's been it's been in the background for a long, long time now. Obviously, um, current landscape, as we all know, we have we have the e privacy directive that's implemented in each member state. Um, but there was a proposal to change that into a regulation, to modernize it, to expand its scope of application. Obviously, very similar time uh, to the GDPR when that was also proposed. Um, and it did not quite make it through its legislative process. Lots and lots of issues, which I'm sure everybody has been reading about over the years. And it it is years now. Um, you know, there was a time when uh, I think maybe it was a year out from the entry into force of the GDPR. It must have been like 2017. Uh, at one point, there was a big, big push and momentum to try and get it 
to come into force at the same time as the GDPR. But um, yeah, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> um, so we're yeah, here. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and every time there's been a presidency change, there's been a little bit of renewed hope that it, you know, reaches a little bit more of a fruition in terms of the discussions taking place, um, yeah. but just hasn't happened so far. But, um, you know, at the beginning of February, we did see the Council of the EU um, announcing that member states had agreed on a negotiating mandate um, for these revised rules, which is a, you know, the first really, really big step uh, for the e-privacy regulation. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it in just a second. Obviously, TBC on the time frame for it, both in terms of the negotiations that will now take place, and then, of course, thinking about the lead time. I'm sure there will be a certain grace period attached to it. You know, a year, perhaps two years. Um, but you know, as as we all know, as and I'm sure we're all feeling, you know, time moves pretty quickly. Um, and a couple of years isn't really that long a time. I know that that was the case when it was, you know, the GDPR or the CCPA. Uh, time does go quite quickly. Um, so I definitely think it's one to stay close to in terms of how those negotiations do proceed and whether we do end up reaching final agreement between the institutions. Mm -hmm. um, because as soon as it happens, obviously the clock will start ticking. Um, right. And just to be yeah. clear, that's negotiations between the council, parliament, and the commission. Is there right. a time? There's no set time period for that, though. Not at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 where it gets a little bit um, murky as to how long that will take. And you know, we saw it with the GDPR as well. Um, yep. that there was a lot of back and forth regarding the various different amendments and versions and, you know, um, then all of a sudden it happens <laughs> as, it, as it did. Will it? <laughs> yeah, okay. Eduardo, what, what do you think? Like, good developments, I suppose, if you're looking for reform in this area? Yeah, I think it's always good to see some legislative reform happening in an area like this one that is moving so fast. and. The, what is happening with the e-privacy regulation, in a sense, is not too different from what happened with the GDPR. If you remember, mm -hmm. the GDPR took a number of years to, to be agreed. And like with the e-privacy regulation, the European uh, Commission published the proposal. Then the Parliament, uh, in the case of the e-privacy regulation, with a few, within a few months, the Parliament put forward their preferred draft and that which was also the case with the GDPR. And then it was the council, which of course represents all the EU member states that took much longer to agree its own position. And I think hmm. the reason why we're seeing these similarities between the GDPR and the e-privacy regulation is because in an area like, like data protection and e-privacy in, in particular, which is so closely relate, related to the economy and progress and the digital economy and so on. There are, in reality, slightly conflicting priorities. 
in the sense that you need to get the balance right between a law that is robust and that protects people's privacy and people's data, but a, a law that works in practice and that adapts as quickly as the technology evolves. And I think that's yep. what is what's been going on. It'll be fascinating to see what the outcome of this trialogue process will be, because I think the positions between the parliament and the council are quite, quite far apart in the sense that the traditionally the, the parliament is more conservative, more pro rights of individuals, more idealistic in, in the views, and the council tends to be more pragmatic and more thinking about the effect of, of the law on, on the economy. And I think that is the case here. Although, of course, there are some very strict provisions that are in every single draft. So we, we know, for example, what's going to happen in relation to cookies, pretty much. Interesting. Okay, so that, that actually brings us on to the next subject, but I, I won't say exactly what's going to happen with cookies, but I, I get I get what you're saying. That, that bit is pretty mature. Um, but just in general, in terms of current cookie guidance, um, next topic is just to update everybody on what we're seeing in, in that area. Um, obviously, we've completed three months now of 2021, and just like last year, we had, we, you know, had a lot of activity and discussion around cookies and uh, divergence across across different EU member states in terms of application of of um, of legislation. So, I wanted just to to bring everyone up to speed with some interesting um, uh, kind of countries to watch here. And Eduardo, I noticed that you tweeted or uh, put out on LinkedIn um, something this morning about the Keneal's guidelines and recommendations. Um, so, why don't we start with that? Actually, I just, I just wrote down. You wrote time. Uh, well. Your law firm wrote time is therefore over to uh, uh, to postpone cookies compliance. So if anyone was postponing it, that's <laughs> that door is closing now. Is what you're saying? Yes. Um, so I think my, my cookie, which is it was kind of um, risky to to tweet about this on the first of April because I said something along the lines of uh, cookie consent a la canil. <laughs> it was on the menu today, but it is true because today on the 1st of April, the Keneal is officially enforcing the guidelines and the approach that it adopted last year, but right. uh, gave a, a sort of grace period for companies <laughs> to adapt to. And it's a very strict cookie consent approach where uh, cookie walls are technically not invalid, but certainly not welcome. And uh, there are all kinds of suggestions as to how, for example, you need to give equal prominence to the reject all cookies, to accept all, as, as much as to the accept all cookies. So the, the, the world of cookie consent is really hot at the moment because of this uh, guidance from the canal and the, the enforcement actions by by them but also looking ahead and still without without losing the reference of the e-privacy regulation i think we can really say that cookie consent is here is here to stay whether we like it or not and whether uh, we think it's a pain or not or, or whatever the law is not going to radically change and 
eliminate the requirement for consent for most cookies. And therefore, okay. uh, whatever mechanism you use, you're going to have to make sure it works. And I think that's, that's the bottom line of what we're seeing today in terms of the guidance and what we're going to see in the near future in terms of new legislation. And is the Keneal's kind of approach here an outlier or are other member states really, and the UK as well, kind of following this tougher approach or more prescriptive approach? It's, an, it's a very interesting way of putting it, whether they are an outlier. I think there is a, there's a spectrum, if you want, of how data protection authorities interpret this law. But that yeah. spectrum has been narrowing over time in the mm. sense that, on the whole, they are all very aligned. The difference is what regulators do about it. So the law is interpreted in, very, in a very similar way by most European data protection authorities. The issue is that most authorities don't really do much about it, but they can ill us and they can ill <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it's <laughs> at the forefront of that. So in that sense, it, it's an outlier because it is very fiercely enforcing the e-privacy directive today on, on cookie consent. And some, I, I'm just guessing from what, you know, this chat, but some would say that's more to do with resources than, you know, desire, maybe, like, maybe they have more capability and staff to actively stay on top of quite a detailed area. Well, I would say that's a bit of a cop out. Am I giving them a free part? The other regulators a free pass there. <laughs> resources are never unlimited. So you ultimately, as an organization, you need to choose your priorities. Hmm. and. They clearly have, and yeah. they've, they've made it very so. In, in to 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 give credit to them, it's not like they are being surreptitious about it. They've said all along, and and even in their work program for for this year, they said that one of yeah. the top priorities was uh, basically e-privacy and more more specifically right. consent for the use of cookies. So they yeah. are they are putting the the putting their words in, into action. And what's happening, Alexis, on this side of the channel? The ICO um, looking at ad tech in a bit more detail. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, yeah. And just to, just before I do, I mean, just to pick up on Eduardo's and uh, your point on the uh, investigation side from Canil. I mean, as Eduardo was saying, they've they've highlighted it as their priorities early on this year, and you know they've. They stated, I think, not too long ago, in fact, I think it was at the beginning of March that, um, you know, following the entry into effect of its recommendations and guidelines today, that um, it's going to increase its investigations and audits into the use of cookies and other tracers. Um, okay. And they've started, you know, doing, <clears throat> they had already started doing a number of investigations and formal audits. So I think I think we're going to read more about that um, over the coming months for sure. Um, for the UK, I mean, as <clears throat> as you noted, David, um, there there was a, an investigation into the ad tech industry from the Information Commissioner's Office. Um, which was having a look into things like real-time bidding. Mm -hmm. um, and it started up probably about this time last year, if I remember, April, May. Um, uh, uh, well, no, a bit before it got paused in April, May. 
um, uh, last year. And um, now uh, I think early on in January, it announced that, you know, it's going to be doing similar things. So audits focusing on digital market platforms um, and will be sending out assessment notices. Um, and they said that that was going to be happening over the next few months. Uh, obviously, it's April at the moment. I haven't seen too much in in that respect, um, but I expect over the the next month or so, maybe we'll see more detail emerge. Um, I do know that data brokers was a particular focus area for them as well. Um, and then also, if we look across, uh, obviously, there's Ireland as well to consider, which I think took a very similar position to France in that, you know, it had its guidelines that it issued and it also uh, talked about uh, compliance uh, deadlines as well, uh, you know, and that was done around this time last year that they issued a big report and updated guidance on cookies um, and was looking to October of last year to um, start investigating further uh, regarding compliance with those uh, with that report and its updated guidance. In in fact, the ICO has already started issuing those um, ah, assessment notices. There we go. Because we've we've seen some. Uh, okay. What is called Section 146, I think. You remember, they, they used to be voluntary, so they, you would get a letter from the ICO saying, we have selected you for an audit, would you agree? <laughs> and these days is, we have selected you for an audit, we're coming. And uh, no. so, yeah, this summer they are going to be doing uh, a few of these um, assessments okay. of, uh, of the ad tech industry. So, well. yeah, it's not like... Uh, as we were saying, it's not like other DPAs uh, are not doing anything, but I, I think it'll be, I think the approach of the ICO is, I, I would like to think it's more about um, understanding, first of all, what's going on within within the industry and then yeah. taking a wider industry view as opposed to the Canadians, the Canadians approach is to go with a stick and, and hitting those <laughs> set banner, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, things, as you said, you know, five, ten minutes ago, things move so fast. You've got to understand what industry is trying to do before you regulate it uh, or try and, and try and regulate it. Um, OK, good, good, good to get a, a few uh, kind of interesting pieces of information on what's happening in that space. And yeah, looking out for those um, audits or kind of consultations, if you'll need a softer word with the ad tech industry in the summer from the ICO. Uh, seeing where that goes. Okay, good. So I think from cookies, there's a, a few other things that actually, they're almost like echoes of 2020 that we want to kind of reprise and, and get updates on. Um, if you asked any privacy professional, certainly in Europe, you know, what were your big ticket kind of items of, of last year? It'd be cookies, data transfers, uh, employment, working from home, remote, you know, and, and Brexit. So let's just wrap up, you know, um, each of those in turn and and get a feel for where we are because for example with brexit we've it's not just an echo of last year we've actually had um obviously uh, brexit happen and 
since we last met, we've had an interesting development for adequacy in the EU. So can we just get to, Edward, let's start with you. Where are we now with the whole adequacy decision? Well, I think the UK is going to get it, basically. Um, yeah. That's where we are. So at the end of last year, it was still a bit of a, there was still a degree of speculation. I personally... have to put it lightly, Edward. <laughs> we only got there about two hours before. The, yeah, the exactly. The <laughs> no, the thing is, I, it's easy to say it now. I, I always thought the UK would get it because, frankly, all they had to say is, but we have the same laws as you do. So right. I think that, that's a strong, a strong argument. But no, yeah. being a bit more, more scientific about it, the of course, the European Commission undertook a massive um, assessment of not just the, the data protection framework, but the whole regime about government access to data, which is, I think, is more than half of what their, their, their whole adequacy decision is about. And we are now at the stage where it's just the formalities that are taking place for the adequacy to be issued hopefully before the end of I think the deadline is the end of june formally okay. but uh i'm sure it, it will be issued a, a bit earlier than that so and that's the, what like a, a deadline from the commission to say we will decide by the end of june is it is no the deadline was agreed by the UK government and the European uh, Commission or the EU as okay. part of their, their Brexit deal, if you want. Um, okay. It was that was the, the deadline they gave to to they gave to each other to achieve adequacy. So I, I'm I'm sure that the Commission is keen to meet that deadline, as 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 is the UK, of course. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Okay, well, let, let's look forward to, to hearing more about that. And anything you want to add, Alexis? Um, there's the EDPB. Uh, how how are the EDPB involved in this? Yeah, so they uh, they are due to issue their opinion on it. As Eduardo was saying, there's a bit of a, a procedure with it. The EDPB will issue an opinion, and then there is a, a commentology procedure. There's a committee uh -huh. of representatives from each member state that will also uh, review it also before it gets adopted by the commission. So um, yeah, those are, I think those are the uh, couple of steps we're waiting for. Is that right, Eduardo? Yeah, so the, the EDPP um, review and opinion is actually not required, technically speaking. So you what is not required is their blessing. So it's not like the commission can only issue okay. their adequacy if the EDPB allows it. So the EDPB, we, we, I guess we can also predict what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, we acknowledge that the UK has exactly the same law as as the rest of the EU, we know that uh, the ICO is our friend and we've worked with them for years and years and years and they are very well resourced and they are very serious and responsible regulators. So all that is great. We are concerned about the regime dealing with internet with access to, to data uh, by the UK government. We think that this is something that should be kept under review. And um, we have uh, these concerns, but ultimately it's the Commission's call. And 
That's it. I've just ruffled the tree. <laughs> you, you saved them a job. If they're listening yeah, to this podcast, yeah. they can finish it in a day. <laughs> All they need to do is get a copy of this podcast exactly, and the interview yeah. will be up and running with, <laughs> with our opinion. <clears throat> One quick question, Alexis. I'm, I'm going to ask you if you disagree with with Eduardo in a minute, or whether you uh, whether you do think this is a formality. But just speculating before, if assuming we get an adequacy decision, in terms of how that translates into future political decisions about you know data protection law in the UK, does would you say it would protect um, the, the the UK framework from becoming lighter uh, for future governments to? To, to sort of deter future governments from taking a hacksaw to the to GDPR two as it's called and and reducing the 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 protections under UK law, do you think that adequacy decision sort of firms firms it up? Because you know everybody always speculates about with Brexit, the UK becoming like a very low regulation state in many areas, including including privacy. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's an interesting um, thing to consider what impact it will have. Uh, for the UK in terms of some of those, you know, conversations that we know have been reading about, uh, about amendments to the UK's data protection law uh, and its regime. Um, I think certainly, you know, as outlined in the, you know, the draft adequacy decision and any adequacy decision, obviously uh, the commission is uh, under an obligation or it puts itself under an obligation to review adequacy decisions every four years. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly whatever happens in that time period regarding any changes in data protection law uh, may have uh, an impact on the uh, validity or the continued validity of an adequacy decision. Um, I haven't seen that be the case at the moment, but obviously the European Commission is at the moment reviewing several countries and their adequacy decisions right. to catch up on uh, adequacy in terms of the GDPR and the change in European law. Um, you know, we saw it in the positive in the context of South Korea, for example, where uh, over the last couple of years, South Korea has been undergoing a huge legislative effort in terms of uh, the privacy protections that it has in various different pieces of national legislation and doing a whole overhaul to it. Um, and that has uh, recently, the other day, resulted in successful conclusion of uh, discussions around a potential adequacy decision there. So South Korea is looking to move forward with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested what you think, Eduardo, as to whether it does, you know, provide uh, a concrete post, as it were. Um, I think it's, it's an important point of reference, of course adequacy and let's be um so let's be clear about, about the fact that adequacy is really really important mm -hmm. uh, uh, for for the uk right. yeah. so it, i think the uk government may or may not acknowledge this openly but it is important and they know that because the whole industry is telling them that it's really important so of course mm -hmm. it is but um the point you're making um, Alexis, about the EDPB uh, pointing out 
that or, or well the potential changes to uk law as a result of brexit is something that yes the edpb you know to my to my uh, opinion the opinion i'm drafting for the edpb that yes the one thing that we also need to add is uh, they're going to say uh, you better watch out uk because if you change the law too much this adequacy should should not stay and it will give a warning to the U to the european commission uh, in that respect as well or or it will ask basically the european commission make sure that you watch what is going on in the uk very closely mm -hmm. obviously the, the uk government or the uk government's policy is not really driven by uh, by the edpb and i don't think that's a controversial statement <laughs> uh, so the UK government, in fact, has already made it very clear that they do intend to depart from this sort of European Union framework. Mm -hmm. and the question is how much, how and how much, and, and how quickly. But I, I think we will see some relatively quick changes um, that address perhaps some, some of the most I wouldn't say maybe cumbersome, but some of the the, the 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 kind of issues and the kind of provisions and requirements in the GDPR that get in the way of being doing business and 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 being realistic about what is happening in in the real world. I I've always said that it is possible to interpret the GDPR in line with what is happening in in the world mm -hmm. but the uk will do that to to an extreme i'm sure and will will yeah. will rely on on the ico and on new laws to, to to make that point yeah i remember where this thought came from actually i saw a quote from a minister um don't care to, to remember which um last week who was talking about this potential for you know de future data protection reform reform and sort of said like it get, the UK has a tremendous opportunity for a um, to a, a, an improved version of the GDPR. Like it, you know, Brexit somehow has created the chance to actually make a V two, which uh, the rest of uh, Europe, the EU, sorry, doesn't have. So yeah, <laughs> a typical political spin on it. But um, I, I get what you're saying. It's it gives a chance to interpret it more more closely to what what business want perhaps or yeah. what certain industry groups want. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, it was probably the, the Secretary of the State for for DCMS, um, Oliver Oliver Dowden, who has written in I think in the Financial Times even about the fact that the UK will try to to take advantage of Brexit to yeah. to diverge in in terms of data protection. But I think um, I think it is still possible for the UK. To achieve the best of all possible worlds, which is to diverge in the sense of taking in the same way it has always done it. The thing is, 
there is nothing new or controversial about the UK diverting from the EU on data protection, because even as part of the EU was used, used to do it. So if they're not going to do it on Brexit, what's the point of, of Brexit? <laughs> That's a great point. You yeah. almost sound like a, a Brexit enthusiast there. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not. But... I know, no, I'm just joking. But no, you make a very good point. Yeah, if, you, if, the, if the UK was always pulling away and trying to be, you know, distinct, you know, before uh brexit you know why stay the same after <laughs> great great point okay let's just jump through the other things um sort of echoes of 2020 that i was referring to um we've got uh yeah related to, to brexit of course data transfers uh yeah let's start with um with shrems too um we yeah i think july 2020 we had the decision mm-hmm. uh what the, the main question I want to ask is what have com- <laughs> what have companies generally been doing ever since? Some some companies might not want to say, I'm sure, <laughs> but what you know what your your sense is from from either side of how companies have been dealing with the the complexity of this and um, and the second question really is just uh, what's happened this year in terms of a pathway forwards. Let's start with you, Eduardo, on on what your clients are generally doing or talking about. Yes, well, what have they been doing? They've been uh, devoting a lot of time and resources to to this issue. That's for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think many of our of our listeners will be thinking, yes, uh, the, the the work trends uh, has appeared quite a few times in my in yeah. my life over the past nine months. So the point is. The, if you remember, what the court was all up, what the court decision was all about was assess to what extent the protections that you deploy are good enough, and in a, in a nutshell, that's what transfer is all about. So that's what companies have been doing to to a degree, and of course the EVPB guidance that was issued in I think it was in November, or at least mm-hmm. the draft guidance was issued in November of last year provided a very detailed roadmap, perhaps a little bit over the top in terms of the the, the, the the amount of steps that needed to be taken. Because in many cases, I would argue that it's pretty obvious whether the data is protected or not protected or exposed or not exposed. You, you have to remember that Schrems 2 is all about access to data by government and to what extent mm-hmm. the data may be exposed to that to indiscriminate access to data by government mm-hmm. you could conclude quite easily <clears throat> yes it is exposed or no it isn't and therefore the protections that exist in the law whether they are standard contractor clauses or intergroup agreements or bcr or whatever mixture of all of the above you you, you rely on allows you to to apply that degree of protection. So I think that that is what it is still a work in progress. I would say that even though it's almost nine months or you know, over nine months, perhaps, mm-hmm. the decision, it is a still a work in progress because it will always be this idea of protecting data when, when it's been transferred overseas. So I think that's, that's where we are. Nexus? Yeah, I mean, likewise, <clears throat> I mean, we've seen our customers doing a lot of work on it. Um, and I think one of the the interesting things that they've been having a look at is, you know, keeping with this um, 
adequacy, you know, talks and looking at third countries is obviously, as Eduardo says, the EDPB guidance is very detailed, has a lot of use cases in there regarding every step, uh, the six step roadmap, you know, from knowing your transfers and carrying out mm -hmm. a data mapping exercise to the end. But obviously part of that that they talk about is undertaking these third country assessments, which we've been doing a lot of work around. And I think that's where we're, we've seen a lot of uh, interest from a research perspective is understanding those various different laws and regulations in that third country. A, a lot of our customers are very, very familiar with the privacy landscape and, you know, whether there's a data protection law in place and a regulator in place, which is, you know, obviously a great, great starting point. Um, but when you have a look at something like the UK adequacy decision or, you know, what the EDPB says or the CJU says, it's a much broader context um, in terms of looking mm -hmm. at, you know, national security surveillance authorities exactly. and the law that regulates them. So and just to jump in so when you're, Wada, when you said it should be fairly simple, I mean, I know you're speaking very facetiously there, but you're referring primarily to the contract. You should know what's in your contract and what protections it offers. That's kind of to paraphrase what you're talking. And Alexis is now talking about, well, if I'm transferring data from country A to country Z, you know, that, that might be a bit more difficult to to find out how the the national uh, the framework for, for government access and private data protection in that country works to, to assess what protection my contract actually has. Does that make sense? Yeah, what, what I mean when I say that this should be or could be simple is because there is this, particularly after the EDPB guidance, there is this sense that you actually need to go and see for every single type of transfer that you have you need to figure out whether in the countries where the where the data may be mm -hmm. the, the level of access to data by government is to to a degree that in in all circumstances could be regarded as excessive and the reality is that I would say every single country in the world allows has laws that allow their their government agencies or their, their public authorities to have access to data. So I think it's really important to, to accept that that's going to, to happen. The question is when and under what circumstances. Okay. I would say in many, many, many cases, it's very straightforward. The data will not be accessed by government. In other cases, you is when you really need to focus. And what we've seen with clients ourselves is that they've devoted their attention to those situations that at the outset could be seen as more borderline. And that's where mm -hmm. you know the, the research and like the, the you know you guys are the experts at, at researching the laws around the world and, and being on top of everything that is happening uh, all the time. So that's when that type of assessment of the law is justified but that yeah. doesn't mean that in every single transfer that has happening daily you have to to undertake this sort of uh several weeks long assessment and then produce a report that is going to be uh, uh sort of reportable to data protection authorities there'll be cases you know there was the the the, the enforcement we've seen in germany Mm -hmm. recently uh, was about 
a provider of electronic communication services, which of course is the, the type of business that is subject to these laws in the states that were mentioned in, in the trends to like FISA and the executive mm -hmm. order and so on. And of course, it is in that sort of situation when one needs to look very carefully as to how you protect the data. And in that case, the company hadn't done anything. So of course, a clear cut um, situation where a regulator is going to say, well, the, the, the law and the judgment asks you to undertake this assessment and then make transfers based on that. You haven't even done the assessment. So I think that that's you need to approach. It's a bit like the risk-based approach that we have learned to live with since the since the mm -hmm. GDPR, and I think it's really important to apply that type of thinking to SRAMs too as well. Great, that, that really makes sense. Um, and just for anyone listening, if you do feel a bit overwhelmed by all this, obviously Eduardo's team are on hand, but mm -hmm. Alexis has spent a huge amount of time um, uh, researching all these um uh, country specific laws and pr protections and information on government access all around the world so yeah dailyguidance.com shrooms 2 portal is where you want to head head for that um great let's jump on we've got la last topic to cover uh is one that i hesitate to to say we you know looks like we are developing in a positive way um it's obviously the covid 19 pandemic and uh opportunities this year to return to something resembling a normal life or a more normal life probably is a better way of phrasing it uh yeah we've had quite quite a year and um as we move into this new period hopefully of um getting through the vaccine period and the, into the post-vaccine period uh whatever that looks like uh in a privacy sense it's going to be interesting to see how you know how privacy teams are um presented with new challenges as we as we as, you know as they suddenly were presented with the you know, challenges of everyone migrating to a home working situation a year ago so just a, a good point i think at the start of april to get a cautious but optimistic um outlook on what the rest of the year might look like for a privacy team or privacy professional if you're trying to manage that that transition uh from now until maybe 12 months from 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 today things like um i guess cybersecurity, uh it could be anything like return to work programs uh even information on things like vaccinations and immunizations what what kind of things might people start thinking about now if you're you're looking at that from a privacy team point point of view so we, i think we're, we're seeing a bit of a repeat of what happened this time last year if you remember this time last year as the pandemic was really progressing in around the world, but certainly in Europe, we saw that, for example, employers were very concerned about obtaining, making sure that they understood who had COVID and yeah. and who uh, and whose family members asking maybe. questions yeah. about uh, whether an employer could require an employee to let them know that they had been tested positive or whether they could require an employee to take a test. Well, now the story is repeating itself with the vaccines, you know, hmm. and, and a year later, and it's, it's just amazing how the world, how quickly the, the world moves. We are asking the same questions and employers are asking questions to, to us about whether they can require employees to tell them whether they have had a vaccine, whether they can even 
require them to have a vaccine before returning to work. So all those type of issues uh, are going to be the 2021 COVID and privacy topics. Interesting. Alexis, what else are you hearing? What are people saying? No, I mean, I, I completely agree with Eduardo. It's, it, I think it's a great, a great point that a lot of this, the same questions are now starting to come up. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to collection and information notices and security and data sharing, um, you know, just a slightly different uh, angle to it before it was um, whether somebody had been had tested positive for COVID, and now it's uh, that coupled with have they also received the vaccination, uh, as Eduardo highlighted. And you know, I think we're we're obviously starting to see lots of developments uh, in the news regarding uh, vaccination programs and uh, immunity passports. There are proposals here in uh, Europe in terms of one of the commissions digital green certificates as well. Um, so it will be interesting to see how those develop. And as Eduardo highlighted again, things move so, so quickly that at the moment it's it's very new, but maybe, you know, in, in six months from now, um, you know, we, we will look at things very differently again, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But as you say, you know, I, I know that you mentioned, you know, you were quite cautious to, to, you know, mention the fact that, you know, maybe here in the UK, we were entering into maybe a more of a positive uh, period and hope, of course, that continues to be the case. But, you know, I think it's it very much uh, continues to be uncertain times. And um, yeah, I think as it sorry, Eduardo. And I think linked to that, perhaps just thinking a little bit ahead, this is not an issue today, but it could be an issue from this summer, which is the use of vaccine passports and mm -hmm. not just the development of them, because at the moment, all the uh, the discussion is about the development of vaccine passports, but let's assume they do happen. So the question is, how can they be used? So if you are a business, in, that is going to require the, the use of vaccine passports in the hospitality industry, for example, or in the in in a situation where there are there are there is a mass of people that uh, you are you have to deal with. So, what steps do you need to take to rely on vaccines passports, and what kind of data can you actually collect, and how is this data? collected and stored and, and all that and treated and justified its use. So then we could be in a situation in a few months from now where the use of vaccine passports or vaccine certificates data will be a major issue from a privacy and mm. data protection compliance for many, many businesses. Mm. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that, I sort of think, yeah, I could see it's coming, you know, I could see it happening, but practically speaking, things get in the way and, you know, pushback from various civil liberties group usually happens. But then I think about, just as you were talking there, Eduardo, then I think about a hospital and I, I or some environment where obviously, um, you know, you're balancing different risks and different priorities in a very acute way, especially where we are today with the pandemic a year behind us now oh yeah since since a year ago and i think well actually it's, it's it's actually quite realistic that we could have that kind of requirement 
Um, I, I have no idea, but now I'm, I'm thinking it through. I'm thinking of those kinds of work environments. It must be a very realistic proposition. Exactly. Um, it's difficult to predict to predict the future. But I think it, we need to 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 think about how to make again uses of data that are that happen in the real world. How to make them compliant how to ensure that this is compatible with the framework that is all around us in relation to privacy and data protection and i think that's something it's a moving target that's what it makes it so so exciting in a way but that's why it makes it so difficult good stuff all right well i think we'll leave it there that's a good point to end on actually before we go uh, Eduardo's made a, um, a not very ballsy prediction that we'll have a UK adequacy decision. Alexis, I didn't put you on the spot for that, so I'll try something else. Privacy Ooh. Shield, you know, new version. Oh, interesting. I think something will happen for sure. Oh, that, that's, a bold, uh, that's a bold catafetus statement. Whether, 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 <laughs> whether it makes it. <laughs> yeah, there has to be a caveat. Whether whether it's whether it stands the the legal tests, uh, uh, TBC. But listen, I, I think that I think there's enough momentum and enough um, uh, want from both sides to make something happen for sure. Um, I think it's been a big disruptor. Um, as has been the case for since Safe Harbor, so I think yep. I think they will give it another go. Good, famously objective, Alexis. Thank you, <laughs> but you you heard it here first. <laughs> Something will happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the headline, brilliant. Listen, as ever, a real pleasure to speak to you guys. Next one will be summer, I hope, uh, June July time. If we can, we can do that. It's usually a good time to have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, have a great. Bank holiday weekend and thanks for listening everybody look forward to catching up with everyone soon Take thanks care. david thanks eduardo Thank thanks everyone all the best bye bye that privacy podcast brought to you by one trust data guidance in association with hogan lovells